Well, good evening everyone and welcome to our Wednesday night streaming. Are we streaming to private. private group? Okay. To those of you joining us online, we want to welcome you. And um, as you might have known, I'm, I made a trip to New York City and it was a real good weekend. And let me take a few minutes right now. Uh, we, I left Canada on Friday and got into New York uh, Friday sometime during the day and the funeral service for Brother Armelius was on Saturday morning. They had an early morning um, viewing and then the service followed that and then uh, the funeral. And so that was done. I was in Elmont for Saturday night service, <clears throat> then in Elmont for Sunday morning service at 11. Then we try to get finished uh, in time to rush to Westbury service, uh, which started at 1. So let's see. Saturday night. No, Saturday funeral, then Saturday night service, then Sunday morning Elmont, then Sunday 1 o'clock um, Westbury, and then back to uh, Elmont and get myself set up to fly out on Monday morning. It was quite a good, interesting weekend. It was a good trip, and not only for the funeral, our brother Armelius, but it was a good exposure to Brother Antoine's group and the Elmont Assembly. Uh, while I was in Elmont, it was like I was, somebody says, you're like celebrity. Because everybody flocked around me and they wanted to take pictures with me. You know, and so I didn't primp or anything like that. I just took pictures and everyone was there. And... Um, a lot of little offerings pushed in my hand and pushed in my pocket because they haven't seen us for almost two and a half years. Uh, you know, it's a long time. And so when we were done in Elmont, I was really glad to see all the people in the Elmont assembly uh, because we go far way back um, in Guyana uh, to what existed there. And then surprisingly, uh, Brother Antoine has the kind of church we had when we got started. Um, I must commend him for the kind of service he's got. And uh, if he was in Canada, people would say he's got too much services. Because I think he's got church on Saturday, prayer meeting on Friday night. Church service on Saturday night. Service on Sunday and service on Sunday night. And he's got to get together. I'm not sure what to do on a Tuesday and a Thursday. But almost every day, he's got something going on. And when we went in there on Sunday, he had over, his church was full with over 100 people. His congregation was full on a Sunday. Not because I'm going. It seems like it was a normal filled up congregation and um, of course I did not mention to you that after the funeral his sisters prepared a meal for us the ministers coming in 
Uh, we went to a little house property that he's got attached and a little kitchen that was there and they prepared a meal and that was wonderful, you know, nice meal. And then when the service was, the service on Sunday was very lively. Not over lively, lively that I enjoyed. It was not like running wild. It was a lively, vibrant service with a hundred people there. And um, when church was done, he had dinner prepared. I'm not sure if they do that on a regular basis or they did that because we were going, but I think they did that on a regular basis. People, they do a potluck every, maybe after Sunday, so people don't go home back. They stay in church for the evening service. And um, I enjoyed being in his church on Sunday, and I must commend him for, and his people, for being faithful and dedicated, and they live in New York City. And so it's a, it's a wonderful group he's got there. And so here I'm back in our sparse congregation. We got more pews than we've got people. And uh, that's the sad thing about uh, the churches that come to the place and reach a, an apex of growth and then things happen and the churches go down. And their people were not all masked up. Maybe among a hundred people, maybe ten people had masks. The rest were without masks. And uh, from my understanding, I don't think anyone died in this church with COVID. So God has protected them. And I'm sure when they leave the church and they go out in their regular job, uh, they also uh, protect themselves. But here we are back here, and um, I have learned to appreciate my own vineyard and uh, what God has brought me through because it helps me to grow. And some of the things I thought of and considered while I was there is very important. And um, I'll say this before we sing, and that is, you know, in our day we are exposed to the internet and if I made a statement like this some time ago, that if you were God, if you were God, you heard me say that before, right? Well, here is a different aspect of that that I thought of when I was um, traveling. If you had omniscience, you're still a human being. You're still, you know, carnal human being, just like you are. But you have the ability to, un to know everything. Uh, could you handle it? Well, let's not let's bring it down to a smaller level. Do you know um, if you go on the internet and you open up Facebook or something and you see a brother that you know is carrying on with burning strange fire in his church, would that upset you? You know, here, here is a brother we know, brother so-and-so, he's a body man, and he's doing strange, strange fire. Uh, he's taking oil and praying for the people and making crosses on the head, or some other strange thing. Would that upset you? Yes. Well, the less you know is better for you. And it is bad when you go on the internet and start to, what do you call it, surfing? 
you're surfing and then you can't handle the information you encounter. You see, I've learned when I was doing security how to choose when to be angry. And to a very great extent, I can control my anger. I said to a great extent, not completely. I can control getting upset when I see somebody. But if I didn't see it, I wouldn't know. And the same man that is, I'm seeing on the internet burning strange fire, if I didn't see that and he comes to my church, I'll put him in the pulpit to preach. But if I see that now, I'm going to not want to put him in my pulpit because I cannot handle information. As we grow in God and develop the characteristics of God and understand God's sovereignty and how he operates, the more God is developed in our lives is the less we respond negatively to things that we should respond maturely. Does God get upset with what he sees in the world? What he sees does not motivate him because he sees it all the time. He saw it before the world was even made. And he has a plan. And his plan is to produce individuals that can become like him. That they don't judge according to the seeing of their eye or according to the hearing of the ear, but they learn to judge righteous judgment. And as we grow in God, we have to come to the place of learning to judge righteous judgment. And when I your fault, I get exposed to your fault, it should not give me a different attitude to you when I didn't know it. I was nice. Now I know it. I'm upset. No, I should be able to deal with iniquity and deal with evil according to scripture, according to righteous judgment, and not according to my emotions. My emotions should not govern the way I judge people. The word of God should become such a predominant influence in my life that I start to be led by the Spirit and judge according to the principles of God's word. And that is what every one of us should have as a goal. Because today, we sometimes can nose into things that our nose have no business in, and we can't handle the information we receive. And so may God help us not to be that immature, and it will take some exposure to things that will test our maturity and cause us to grow. And so, you know, if you listen to what I just said, that's a lesson already for tonight. It's a valuable concept because as we develop Christ and we become more like Christ, we're able to have the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. As we deal with hypocrites that will crucify me in a few days. But I still heal their sick. I still show the mercy of God. And that is why the scripture tells us that the rain God sends falls on the just and on the unjust. And his son didn't come to die for good people. He died for the sinner, for you and me, while we were ungodly and not knowing God. So right there, before the services even started, I've given you a lesson that's worth the while pondering over. May God help us all to come to the place 
that we do not judge according to the seeing of our eye, and when we see something, we don't get motivated by it. Uh, then it becomes fickle. When he ascended on high, give gifts unto men, right? Apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm teaching you that we be no more children tossed to and fro by what we see on the internet or what we hear on the radio or what we encounter in the store or what we get exposed to by a gossiper. We have a firm belief none of these things should move us when we are built on the solid foundation. Good place for us to start tonight. And so let's worship the Lord. I ask you to bow with your heads in prayer with me. I don't know why I say bow your heads in prayer with me. Is that a Catholic thing? Join me in prayer tonight as we pray and ask God's blessing on this service. Father, we give you thanks for the privilege you've given to us that we can be in church. Dear Father, we praise your name and we honor your name. And I thank you for giving me the privilege of traveling to New York City and to be exposed to areas of your work that I need to view and understand and appreciate, O oh Father. Lord, we pray for our service tonight and everyone joining us. We pray that you'll touch our minds and our spirits. Lord, it is so easy for us to be led astray and be motivated by our own carnal desires. Help us, we pray, Father, to develop the nature and the spirit of Jesus. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. A spirit just like yours that will endure that's my desire to Beautiful songs. I find myself always saying that when we sing beautiful songs. Uh, it's important. Singing is, singing lifts your spirit or it could damn your spirit. Um, you can 
someone says, well, you know, I'm having some emotional problems, so I'm going to be singing some emotional songs. And it's not religious songs, and it, they, you know, um, it sends you in a bad position. But singing spiritual songs can lift your spirit, and that is important. Um, over here in Matthew chapter 7, and I'm looking, we've got 30 minutes, 40 minutes to put this lesson in tonight. And so, that's enough time for me. Uh, tonight, I'm thinking of one single word. And it is a word that should be understood by every child of God. And... Uh, uh, the reason why it should be understood is what I'm going to talk to us about tonight. Here in Matthew 7, uh, Jesus is making some statements. And I'm doing my best, and I will always say that I'm reading from an English translation of the scripture. And I'm hoping that what I'm reading is closest to what is ac was accurately said. Uh, some 2,000 years ago. Well, uh, Jesus made a lot of statements here in Matthew chapter 7, but of course I will not deal with the entire chapter. I'll deal with verse 13 coming down very quickly. He says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Uh, the, the straight gate uh, is a path to salvation. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate uh, for, and broad, he says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go in thereat. In other words, what the Lord is telling his disciples 2,000 years ago that there is a wide gate, broad way uh, leading uh, in religion and a lot of people are going to be a part of it. When we look at what is existing today, uh, sometimes the work of God starts small and ends up big. And so it is important uh, that we understand these things. I, one of the things I mentioned in, in, um, in New York uh, when I was there, was that each one of us need to take an assessment of our spiritual growth. Um, think about 100% as the totality. And you think about the world, how much the world is having a hold on you, and how much is the church having a hold on you. When uh, It's an easy question for me to answer when I look at the congregation. Uh, when you put God on the priority in your life, you will find that the things that pertain to the work of God will uh, be evident as a priority in your life. You'll find that church attendance would improve, that you can't miss church because God's there. But you know, the majority of people only feel that God comes on a Sunday. God's not here. Now, if I was God and I was sitting in the church, come, and my presence come in the church on a Wednesday night, would I be pleased with what I see uh, when the congregation is sparse? 
than what I believe the people on a Sunday when they worship God and I love you more than I could think and all that kind of stuff they tell him. And you see, God is not, uh, he is accustomed to immaturity and all of this. Anyways, uh, moving on with this uh, lesson here tonight. And then Jesus talked about straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth to life and few people find it. And uh, today in our church, that is same, the same thing. In this same church, we can be here, but for some of us, the way is broad. And we join the broad way, even though we don't leave the building, we join the broad way because we include ourselves with a bunch of people in society that would not put God on the highest pedestal in their lives. And so... We are a part of that group, even though we're sitting in Gospel Assembly Church. But we could also be a part of that group that is, that is a part of the straight gate. Now, whether you're in the Broadway or the straight gate, what percentage do we put God in in our lives? Um, I'm sitting here and I try to weigh what percentage is God occupying my mind. And I think I can be safe in saying, I think from my estimation that maybe 70% of my life is committed to God and the study of his word and understanding what uh, the word teaches. I think 70. <clears throat> the 30% is a hard way to go. And some of us might be 50. When you say 50-50, you're on the fence. It's best you say 40, 60, either way. And so when we think about these things, and then Jesus went on here when he talked about this, and then he made a statement here, he says, Beware of false prophets, which will come to you in sheep's clothing. While he's talking about these two paths, the broad way and the narrow way, he says, Beware of false prophets, which will come to you in sheep's clothing, in other words, don't believe everyone that looks like a Christian and sound like one, but you've got to be able to stick around long enough to see what kind of fruit they bear. And that is so important in the church because you might be sitting in church and you become a hippopotamus Christian, that you open your mouth and anything that comes you swallow. See, as children of God, we must be so sensitive that we are not led astray and while I'm speaking to the congregation the congregation on the other hand should not be leading the preachers into making decisions I told Chandri that today that some individuals you know they some preachers anyone that gives them a suggestion they follow that and that is not good uh, when Brother Sinbad says, Brother, Brother Singh, um, you know, I, 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 want to, I want to give you a present. What is a present, Brother Sinbad? I want to give you a trip. Uh, you make a trip to England, I'm going to pay for it. Well, praise the Lord, when? And he gives me a date and I'm gone. No, a minister don't get motivated by anyone that has a suggestion. A minister to be able to build maturity in the lives of the people, he must have maturity himself. 
He must not be motivated by anything he hears or any wind that blows. If I am trying to build you strong in God that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, I must first not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so God must help us. And so Jesus is talking about this because he's heading up to a concept. So how do we judge false prophets? He says, every, he says do uh, beware false prophets. He says, verse 16, you shall know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorns and figs of thistles? Uh, if you want grapes, you don't go find a thorn and see if it has grapes. A grape tree will produce grape. Isn't that right? In other words, what Jesus is saying, you judge people by their fruit. And you've got to be able to grow spiritually to look at people and judge them by their fruit. Because the devil has never stopped creating little intrusions into the work of God where this very seat of Satan can exist in a local church. This one included. And the children of God must be sensitive enough not to give uh, room for the seat of Satan to exist in the church. A lot of times, while the saints ought to be careful of preachers, preachers ought to be careful of the saints. Are you listening to me? I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying something for a both uh, preacher and saint. Um, uh, as an elder in the church, you can't be motivated by people buttering you up. And as a saint in the church, you can't be motivated by elders buttering you up. We must live according to the principles of the Word of God. And if we're to build a church that will survive, there's one way it must be built. And there's something that called working iniquity that should not be in a church. And so when Jesus went up here and he said, A good tree will bear forth good fruit, and a corrupt tree, verse 18, will produce, would not produce good fruit, but corrupt fruit. Verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit must be eliminated. In other words, in a garden, if you have trees that are just a waste of time, get rid of them. And ever so often, I have a garden and I find something comes up. And you know, I plant wild seeds, wildflower seeds. And I'm looking at one growing up prosperously in the middle of everything and I said this has got to be some big flower and then only to find out it does not even bloom and it's the healthiest looking one in the garden and so you look at that you give it a chance of it, and then there's no bloom and then you get to the bottom pull it root and every man out because it's just crowding the garden so it's necessary for a child of God to be able to recognize the difference. And here, wherefore by the fruits you shall know them. And so Jesus said, by the fruits you will know them. And then he made this statement that every one of us should remember, because when he returns back, this is an important element that he'll address. He says, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven.
So we're talking about false prophets, workers of iniquity, that you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven, not because someone in the church is saying, Lord, Lord, means you, you'll be caught away by what they influence you to. You must be able to draw back yourself and watch the fruit. See, preachers out there, and even in this fellowship in the early days, the ministers were given a course, if I could remember this, what was told to me correctly. In the early days, when men were ready for the ministry, there was a course offered to the young ministers, and it was a Dale Carnegie course, how to win friends and influence people. Now, if Dale Carnegie was called of God to do that, I'll take the course. But you see, if a man is called of God, he don't need to be manufactured. And this is why it is important to understand where we've got some of that is passed on to us from. And my responsibility as a pastor is to understand that not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth not the will of the pastor, not the will of the congregation, not the will of our grandparents, but the will of God. Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, read that for me while I drink some water. All right, so getting back to the subject. Not because <clears throat> someone did some wonderful works. Bear up with me in my throat tonight. I actually have a bad throat. <clears> throat> I'm worrying with that, especially this subject. But I don't give up easily. Excuse me. It says, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, but he that do it, the will of my Father. Right? He that do it, the will of my Father, shall, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus went on, <clears throat> Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name have done many wonderful works. Now, here is what I want to bring to your attention. Jesus would say, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, the word I want to bring to our attention tonight is iniquity. And I want to use a few scriptures because the word iniquity is what will not enter into the kingdom of God. Now, how possible is iniquity? How much is it possible that iniquity is working in our church? Well, let's find out. Let's do some research here. Now, first of all, when Jesus returns back, here's a few things that we need to understand. When Jesus returns back, he would say to people that are religiously involved in church, 
He would say, Depart from me, you that work iniquity. But Lord, I cast out devils in. It doesn't matter. Lord, I did many wonderful works. It does not matter. Iniquity is subtle. Now, here is something we need to remember. Over in Hebrews, the first chapter, uh, Paul, I believe, is the author of Hebrews. He tells us about Jesus. And the Father is talking to the Son, and he's making a statement here in chapter 1 of Hebrews. He said to the Son, verse 8, But unto the Son the Father said, Thy throne, O God, he calls the Son God, he says, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. Son, thou hast loved righteousness, but you have hated iniquity. Stop for a moment. Now, if the Father send this, said this to the Son, and we are understanding that Jesus hates iniquity, if we have a service that is operating on the dispel or the influence of iniquity, what is Jesus' attitude to that? He hates iniquity. So if I'm a child of God, it is absolutely necessary for me to understand what iniquity is and make sure that iniquity does not exist in our midst. Amen? Amen? It is absolutely necessary. So, that is one. We understand when he comes back, he will say, Depart from me that work iniquity. We'll understand that Jesus loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Second thing. The third thing we want to look at is in, in Isaiah chapter 53. And you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah is writing here, talking about Jesus and his death. He says, surely, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded. Now why did Jesus die? He was wounded for our sins or our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. There are two elements that Jesus focused on when he died. One, our transgressions and our sins. So when I come to the Lord and I say, and this is important, listen to me. It is important. I hit the altar and I say, Lord, please cleanse me of my sins. That should not end the prayer. Everyone confessing their sins and asking the Lord to save them should say, Lord, please save me from my sins and cleanse me from my iniquities. And for hundreds of years, churches have ignored that concept. And all they do is forgive me of my sins. And no one has asked the Lord, to forgive them of their iniquities. But Jesus died that he might save us from our sins and our iniquities. Uh, when, uh, when David was writing in, in Psalms, the 50th chapter, when David was confessing his sins, 
in Psalms 51, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, verse 1, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So David is repenting to God, and he's asking God to blot out his transgressions. Now this was prior to Jesus dying on the cross. And he goes on here, he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, not only transgressions, but every child of God that attends church must understand that we need our sins forgiven and we need our iniquities cleansed. We need God to save us from sin and iniquity. And he says, uh, wash me truly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. He says, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin my mom conceived me. What I think verse 5 is actually saying that my very conception was, was enveloped by sin and iniquity. And that is why Jesus died he was bruised for our transgressions and he was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. There's two elements here that we have to understand. Now, where did iniquity has its origin? Over in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter of Ezekiel, we're given a description here of what we think is the origin of the devil, speaking about his origin and it tells us here in Ezekiel the 28th chapter and I think we're doing fine here tonight the concept is being delivered tonight that we must understand that having a sin is one thing having an attitude of iniquity and practices that will in go contrary to God and what is not approved of God is very dangerous also what am I saying? I'm saying it over and over again. We don't ask the Lord only to cleanse us from our sins, but we need to pray every day, God cleanse us from every trace of iniquity. Here it talks about the devil, and it tells us a beautiful, it tells us how wonderful he was in verse, in verse uh, 20, tw in verse 12, Son of man, take this lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now this is not the literal king of Tyrus, but the devil operates principalities and powers. Uh, he operates, uh, he has a principality that he operates. And uh, we learn that in the days of Daniel, when Daniel was praying uh, for God to give him an answer concerning the future of Israel, that uh, uh, Gabriel was sent to deliver that answer. And it took him 21 days because the prince of Persia, one of the devil's angels stopped Gabriel for 21 days. These, these angelic fallen angels are powerful. And the prince of Grecia uh, confronted Gabriel on his way back. So Daniel's prayer should have been answered 21 days earlier. But the reason why it was not answered was because it was hindered by the Prince of Persia. And so when we're looking at this here, 
the king of Tyrus. It's not the literal king of Tyrus because as you read this here in this chapter, it says here in verse um, 15, Thou was perfect in all thy, way, thy ways from the day that thou was created. The king of Tyrus was not created, he the regular king. But this prince that took authority over the kingdom of Tyrus is the devil. And it tells us here, uh, verse 13, he was a beautiful being to look at. It says, thou hast been in Eden, not the king of Tyrus, but the devil was. Uh, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius and the topaz and the diamond and list all of these uh, precious stones. Verse 14, he was a cherubim. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, that controlleth. He had angels under him and under his authority. And then in verse 15, it says, You were perfect, absolutely perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. Iniquity is when you move aside from what God wants and you want to do what you feel should be done uh, contrary to what God desires. Uh, it is something that is religious. It's not like if I want to eat eggs and God doesn't want me to eat eggs. It's more uh, sophisticated and religious than that. It is what God wants, especially in the operation of his church and in the guidance of the lives of his people. And so, by the multitude of thy merchandise, thou hast filled the midst of thee with violence. Uh, because of what God made this being, and this is the problem, because, listen to me a little bit, if you have the ability to sing, the devil can turn that and allow you to be full of iniquity because you don't want to sing to the glory of God, you want to sing to your glory. Already he has undermined you. If you could preach and memorize scripture. And when you get up to preach. And he starts to touch your mind. And let you feel like I'm, I'm really doing good here. The people are saying amen. And that is why I believe a preacher should not be some entertainer. Whether you say amen or not. I should not be motivating you into an emotional frenzy. When I do that, I'm starting to work iniquity while I'm standing in the pulpit. Because I'm not delivering that meekness and gentleness of Christ to the congregation. It's me. And before you know it, you'll have individuals being worshipped and honored more than God is honored, and that's why God has government in the church. He has order in the church. He has a way, and that is the problem Paul had in Corinth. Paul says, though you have many instructors, you must remember you have one father. There is one father in the church. And when we're building a church, we need to eliminate iniquity, that spirit that wants to go contrary to what God wants in the church. Now, we'll try our best, but uh, workers of iniquity will 
conquer and, uh, and successfully undermine churches. Because the devil would establish, to establish seats in the church, the devil must have ministers and saints that will support that concept of going contrary to what the order and principles of the church are. And so, he says here, Thy beauty, verse 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. You see, sometimes praise to an individual can destroy them. Are you listening to me? A lot of times the saints can destroy a minister. And a lot of time a minister can destroy the saints. When saints start to butter up because they want favor, it can destroy them. And that is why I like how God has brought me into a situation where nobody butters me up. I've been here 42 years, and I cannot remember 42 times, and that's a big number, where elders have walked over to me and says, after the message is finished, shook my hand and said, thank you for that message. And that is what God has allowed to happen in my life. I don't want it any other way. Because when individuals learn to butter you up, they would backslide and they would undermine your faith. That's right. Are you listening to me? Yes, the ones that don't butter you up are the ones that survive and stay. Because they're fulfilling the will of God for that minister. And yet at the same time, the individuals while they're sitting in church could be used to set the stage for the work of iniquity to be established in the local church and the seat of Satan to be developed. God's work has always been bombarded by the work of iniquity. Quickly turn back with me and remind ourselves in Isaiah chapter 1, uh, where Isaiah is talking to Israel, and this is Israel's problem all the time. Israel always had this problem. Here in Isaiah chapter 1, the Lord says, Ah, verse 4, sinful, ah, sinful nation. What was the main problem there? Sin. Problem number one, <coughs> sin. Everybody say that. Sin. Problem, read it for me. <coughs> All right. A sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity. Sin and iniquity were the main problems Israel had. All right. <coughs> now, time is running on me here today. So we come back here, uh, to, before we get back into uh, the, the prophets, Jesus made this statement here in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, you remember anyone where he said, iniquity, find that verse for me. He says, uh, when he talks about the end of the age, he says here in verse 11, and many false prophets. You see, when iniquity strives when they're false prophets. Did we see that in Matthew chapter 7? When false prophets are 
being manufactured iniquity thrives. And he goes on here, he said, many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And that is sad, when the love of many wax cold. Uh, so turn back with me here to Isaiah chapter <clears throat> 59. And time is running out to me here tonight, so let's see how best we can wrap this all up. The problem that we are trying to understand is this word iniquity. <clears throat> when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, the mystery of iniquity that already work. It's not easily understood, but tonight I'm telling you, it's a major issue. Iniquity and sin. And iniquity is subtle because even though sin might not be there predominant, iniquity would result in individuals sinning, not sinful sin, but iniquitous sin. Because if you're doing contrary to God, it is sin. Isaiah 59, and the whole chapter is a beautiful chapter. I can only deal with a few verses here. And it says, but your iniquities, the Lord says, uh, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you. Two major problems Israel had at this point, iniquity and sin. And if we're having a church and the church is operating and we feel God is operating there and God has not approved that, God does not even pay attention to what we do. And that is sad. He says, your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips and have spoken lies and your tongues have uttered perverseness. In other words, if iniquity is operating in the church, the more I preach, his more perverseness would be promoted. And I don't know how to say this, and a night when I should not even be preaching, you know, but I thought, I said, you know, this sore throat I've got, I try to be macho today, and uh, yesterday I went out in the cold without a scarf or, you know, anything like that, and I wasn't macho. And so, I felt like my throat was hurting me all day, and I, and I went to the doctor, and while I was there, the doctor, it went away. I went for my physical today, and it's all good reports. And then, when I left his office, then the throat started to hurt me again, right? And I said, I already left his office. So before church tonight, I went to the drugstore, and I got me some zinc lozenges. And that is what's saving the night here tonight. Of course, the Lord is helping me. But when I got these, and they can really help you, your throat to survive. So here I am, not supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to wrap it with Vicks and light down and be comfortable in a warm bed. But here I am, because it's an important subject. Iniquity and sin must be understood. And it says here, your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Verse 4, none call it for justice. Why? Nor any pleaded for truth. 
That's not important no more. They trust in vanity. We've got to study how big properties we can get and how fancy cars we can get and how fancy houses we can get and start how fancy clothes we can get. Vanity takes a hold of God's work when iniquity is working there. And our spirits are not conditioned and dealt with because iniquity is working there. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Verse 6, their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And he goes on, on, and on, and on. Verse, um, verse 12, for our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us. And as for our iniquities, we know, we know them. We understand. You know, if you sit down and really understand what's iniquity, you can recognize what God has not started that we get ourselves involved in. Are you understanding this lesson tonight? Yes, sir. All right. Let's finish up here. Uh, judgment is turned away backwards. Verse uh, verse, let me finish this. Verse 13, I got five minutes. In transgressions and lying, in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. This is what Israel did. This is what is possible that we can end up and do. So this is what the Lord wants you to hear tonight. And this is not exactly what the Lord wants. When a preacher gets up and he does that. And this is not exactly what the Lord wants. But what you want to promote your own self. That is why it's good that God works on individuals. Amen. You think I can sit here and boast when the Lord is busting my throat in? No, the Lord, the Lord has always given me the hard path. But guess what? This word of God I'm sharing with you tonight is important for us to understand. How do you know about this thing? Because it's edifying me while I'm preaching to you. And he goes on here. It says in transgressions and lying, uh, lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart, words of falsehood, thy judgment is turned away backwards, and justice standeth afar off. And truth, everybody go slow, truth is fallen in the streets, and equity cannot enter. When truth, you know I'm saying truth is not to in the Godhead here, it's reality. Truth is reality. We fail to understand what God is doing. When truth, when iniquity takes over a work of God, truth lies, light in the street. And I hate to say this, but I must say it, that I wonder very often how often truth. We know all the scriptures like Israel did. The Pharisees, they studied the law daily. But they were full of iniquity because truth was lying in the street, Amen. dormant. And it says, 
Yea, truth faileth, and he that departed from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him, and there was no judgment. May God help us. Time is gone on me, but may God help us as we understand this lesson tonight. The word iniquity must not be shunned. The word iniquity must be understood. And the two elements that we must consider is that Jesus loved righteousness and he hates iniquity. When it says he loved righteousness, it means sin is gone and he hates iniquity. He was wounded for our transgressions, sins, and he was bruised for our iniquity. The majority of individuals serving God today it is quite possible that the majority of individuals in the world, whether they heal the sick or raise the dead, are workers of iniquity, because that is what Jesus said when he comes back. Can I use a couple of seconds more of your time? So back here in Matthew 7, where we started, just a little bit more of your time uh, here in Matthew 7. So when he says, depart from ye that work iniquity, verse 24, therefore... Tonight, therefore, 2,000 years ago, he that heareth these sayings of mine and try to fulfill them in your life, try to do it, them in your life, is like a wise man that's building his house upon the rock. When you build that house upon the rock and the rain descent, it will not shake your house. Verse 26, and he that heareth these sayings of mine and fail to comply and fail to do them is like the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. And the rain falls and destroys that house. Verse 28 came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. May God help us tonight as we understand how dangerous is sin, but more subtle and dangerous is iniquity. That God will free us from it because it will not survive. The origin comes from the devil and that is why Paul told Timothy, he says, ordain not a novice to the ministry lest he be exalted like the devil was. And fall into the same condemnation. When someone is given position and authority. And their spirit is not matured enough to handle it. It will destroy them. That is why the biggest example and the strongest example we can hope to copy. Is our Lord Jesus himself. His humility. His, his meekness. His tenderness. And everything concerning him. If we develop his spirit, Paul says, I beseech you by the gentleness and the meekness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be reconciled to God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this Wednesday night, for this time we spent in your house, Lord. We thank you for the time, O oh God, that your word was delivered unto us. Touch our minds tonight. Touch our hearts tonight. Help us not to be brought in submission to iniquity, Father. 
In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.